Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning, more than the watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love. With him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Let me add my welcome to you as well. My name is Buzz, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm excited to be in Psalm 130 today, which Amani just read for us. I'm grateful for her ministry of the word. And as Danny was saying, the Psalms of Ascent, this series that we've been in, is kind of a collection of songs that people would read and pray as they were on a journey somewhere. And that somewhere was the mountain of the Lord, where the temple was where the presence of God dwelled and they could meet God face to face. So this collection of psalms is on a journey towards the mountain of praise. And uh, Danny said he sent half his kids to camp. I sent a mere 25% of my kids to camp this morning. And I was reminded last night of just how long the Lord has journeyed with us just in this season of parenting because I was rummaging around in our top drawer uh, where everything is kept, highly organized, of course, to try to find our medical card, because you need medical information to send your kids to camp. And I couldn't find my medical card, but I did find some baby shoes that we had that were my son Roman's. Do you guys remember Robies? These were like amazing in 2005, for sure. They had little sharks on them, and they're like the size of my hands, barely this big. And so I have this like baby shoe, and then I have a, like a man-sized child that we're sending away for camp. And how did this happen in 12 years? That from tiny to huge and what the Lord has brought us through and journeyed with highs and lows and in our daily life blessing us. It was a beautiful image that God is taking care and looking out and we're not done raising our kids. We're still on the way. Maybe we're still on our way with the Lord through those highs and lows and in that journey and one of the biblical images for the people of God is as sojourners or wanderers or strangers, just kind of on their way through life, but the Lord is present with us always. I know, so we looked at all these kind of highs and lows. Our first week in the Psalm series, we had the lament for loneliness, just crying out to God for those of us who feel like we are in a strange land far away from what feels like home. And then week two, we answered the question, who is our help? In Psalm 121, it says that the Lord I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. It's really the theme for all of the Psalms of Ascent, that the Lord is our very present help in time of need. And then we talked about how we made it, but barely. And if you haven't caught that message from Pastor Danny, I encourage you to check it out because Danny was sharing what the Lord has brought our church family through in the last 18 months. The highs and the lows and the blessings and the mistakes and the heartache and that the Lord has brought us. And we made it, but barely, we're still in the process of making it. So check out that message if you wanna hear from Danny what the Lord has brought us through. 
then we talked about a life of joy and what is it like to see like a kid on Christmas morning, what it is to have face-to-face encounter with the Lord. And then last week we talked about a life of blessing, how we can exchange our bread of anxious toil for the bread of life in Jesus Christ that we can eat from and never be hungry again. And if you've enjoyed the Psalm series, we're actually doing a podcast and a reading through the entire book of Psalms, kind of in conjunction with our small group curriculum. You can go to threecrosses.org slash media and find that podcast, a short Psalm for every day for you to keep on the road of life, inculcating yourself in the word, rooting yourself and grounding yourself in the truth of scripture on this journey that we call life. You know, in Psalm 130, our Psalm for today, it has a powerful message for us about what it takes to journey with the Lord. And one of these things is repentance, crying out to God when we are in need. So if I could kind of sum up the big idea for today in Psalm 130, I would say that if we look at our life in comparison with God's holiness, we could really be ashamed. We could hide from him. But God doesn't look at us as those who need to be hidden, as if he wants to crush us or condemn us or to destroy us. No, God looks at us with redemptive, forgiving eyes. He is a God of great grace and surpassing mercy. And if we would but ask, we would see that he stands ready to forgive and to welcome us home. If we'll see ourselves for who we are and bring ourselves to him, not just once, but daily, every day on this journey, we will see his surpassing greatness, his everlasting mercy, and his true heart of a father. Now, is this what you think about God when you think about him and, and what his character is and what he is like? You know, we already saw in Psalm 121 that our help comes from him, the maker of heaven and earth. So what might encourage you to cry out to him for help? Why do we cry out to God? Why do we cry out to God? You know, there's also a sense in which we could almost ask the opposite of this question, like what might keep you from crying out to God? This would be a whole different message, a whole different series perhaps, but maybe it's guilt or worry or fear or distraction or lack of faith or just ennui that keeps you from crying out to God. Whatever it is, we know we have these obstacles, but I think the basic answer to this question, why do we cry out to God? Most of us would say we cry out to God because we're in the depths and we need some help. We cry out to God because we need help. Right, that's how the psalmist puts it in the psalm in verses one and two. He says, out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. You know, I think we do know intuitively that when we're in those depths or what some people call rock bottom, that's when you need help and that's when you can cry out. You know, it's kind of like if your house were on fire and there's flames and smoke billowing everywhere, you would call the fire department, wouldn't you? You'd be in the depths of despair. How can this be happening to my home or to my belongings? And you'd reach out and you'd call for help and you'd expect the fire department to come and to intervene. Or maybe if your life feels, figuratively speaking, that it's on fire, you would reach out to God to get some relief from this pain or from this suffering. You need God to get you out of a tight spot. So is this why we cry out to God? Is it to be saved from our circumstances? Is it so that he can fix some things in our life? Is it so that he can give us some sort of blessing? Is this why you cry out to God? Or do we cry out to the Lord when we ourselves have made a mistake? Do we cry out to the Lord when we ourselves are suffering? 
Do we trust the Lord with our inward parts in that way as well? Or do we only trust him with our circumstances? Do we cry out to the Lord, in other words, to be saved from our circumstances? Or do we cry out to him to be saved from our sins? I know sin is a term in the Bible used to describe those things which separate us from God. It might be things that you do, actions. It might be thoughts which you have, desires. It might be things which you did not do, omissions. These are things which separate us from the holiness of God. God alone is perfect and we are not. It's easy to admit that when your house is on fire, right? It's easy to see that you need to call the fire department. But sometimes I feel like sin is much more like if you have a toothache. I don't know if there's any dentists in here, uh, and I don't want to be the one that has to break this to you, but we don't like to go to see you guys. Um, No offense. (laughs) We would just rather stay home. We love you. You're very nice. Thank you so much for your ministry of dentistry, but I'm not going to go to the dentist, right? Even if I had a toothache, uh, it's hidden. Nobody knows about it. Nobody sees it. I can probably deal with it. I can probably endure this pain. I might not even feel it every day. You know, maybe then I go to Cafe Four and get a delicious iced coffee, cold brew, and then I'm reminded, oh wow, that cold thing has reminded me I do in fact have this toothache. I should go and see the dentist. But because we can hide it and because it's not an emergency, we put it away and we put it away and we put it away and we push it off and we push it off and we push it off, right? Your house isn't on fire yet, so you can push it off. We don't need to be saved in desperation, so we push it off. We push it off and we push it off, right? We think about this in our sin. We can keep it inside. We can handle it ourselves. But sometimes that sin, that brokenness, these Things build up in your life and then they pour out and all of a sudden, before you know it, your house is on fire. That small toothache has grown into a root canal and a surgery or sepsis or something worse. This small care that you didn't provide, this small step of visiting the dentist, you didn't do it and now you're desperate. Why is it that we can call the fire department for an emergency but we have a hard time going to the dentist. I might ask the question this way, is it more important to have an easy life of circumstances or to be saved from our sins? Is it more important to be saved from your circumstances or to be saved from your sins? Is it more important that God gives you blessing or is it more important that God gives you forgiveness? Do you follow God for the impact he can have on your life or do you follow God for his holiness and his redemptive power? For which of these do we cry out to him? Which of these is the psalmist in Psalm 130 crying out for? You know, I love these psalms because they give us a psalm for every day. And in the same way, the ministry of Jesus on earth gives us a window into what it would be like if God himself lived in our shoes, walked our path, followed our journey, had our temptations such as we do. You know, Jesus was God himself come to earth in human form. And so we can look at the ministry of Jesus and see what would God say if people asked him that question? What would God do in that circumstance? And I want to read uh, with us today in Luke chapter 5 and see what Jesus himself would say if I asked him that question. Is it more important to be saved and blessed from our circumstances or is it more important to get forgiveness and redemption? In Luke chapter 5, Jesus will answer that question for us. And so you can turn there if you want. We're going to have the words on the screen as well. And it says this about Jesus. It says, one day he was teaching 
And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles and into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? For who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Right? And Jesus here is drawing this distinction between forgiveness of sins, an inward thing that no one can see. You can say it, but there's no proof of it happening. But if you say to somebody, rise and walk, you can see whether or not that person has power. Right? This is the contrast Jesus is making. So then he goes on to say in verse 24, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Which might be a bit of an understatement, wouldn't it? This man comes to Jesus with needs and Jesus says to him basically that forgiveness of sins is better than healing. Forgiveness of sins is better than this physical healing. This is the first thing he says to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. I wonder if that person was disappointed to not get the healing he came for. Did he himself see that forgiveness was better than able to walk because he came, it seems, for that physical healing. Luke says at the beginning of the passage that Jesus had the power to heal the sick, but Jesus looks past that obvious need. He looks past that physical need. He looks past that temporary, earthbound kind of a need and sees through to this man's eternal need, that he was separated from God because of sin in his life. He sees this eternal issue, this barrier between him and God that sin provides for all of us. Because it's not the case that this person was exceptionally sinful or being punished for something he had done. That's not the case at all. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so if you feel like, man, my circumstances, I'm struggling with these because God is punishing me, that's not true. If you think, man, I'm still struggling with this because God is angry at me, that's not the case. If you think, man, God forgives them because he loves them, he heals them because he loves them, he breaks through for them because he loves them, but me, I'm still out here. That's not the case at all. Right? Look how the psalm puts it here in Psalm 130. He says, if you, O Lord, would keep a record of sins, who could stand? Who could stand? Nobody can stand before the Lord. We're all in the same boat. But this man before Jesus puts his trust in him to do whatever the Lord would have to do, to forgive sins or to heal. He puts his faith and trust and declares that Jesus is Lord. So I wonder, do we take our own sin so seriously? 
Do we take it more seriously than our struggle with circumstance? Do we take it more seriously than even our physical health? Do we take our sin that seriously? Sometimes I think we treat it more like that toothache that we can ignore and kick on down the road. Sometimes we reduce sin to almost like a list of optional do's and don'ts. Like I'll worry about the number one and number two things, but let's not get bogged down in all the details of what God wants me to do. Or maybe we think, yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as that person or this other person or this other person. I'm not perfect, but I'm good. Or sometimes we might think, God loves me and surely he wants me to be happy. He just wants me to do whatever I want to do. He'll love me and forgive me and accept me. And and that's true, he loves you and he wants to forgive you, but your sin is serious. It does separate us from the Lord. The psalmist is even saying it's like you're in the depths. No way out. Do you take your sin that seriously? If we just soft sell our sin, we still have that gap between us and the Lord. It's just one that we are ignoring. Just because you don't go to the dentist doesn't mean you don't, in fact, have the toothache. It's hard to cry out from the depths if you don't even believe that you're in the depths in the first place. But the gospel has for us, as always, really good news, which is that forgiveness sets us free for life with the Lord. Man, so if the Lord counted iniquity, counted sin against us, no one could stand. But look at the good news in verses four and five here. He says, but with you, there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. Man, this is Good news, I never get tired of talking about this on Sundays here at Three Crosses, that Jesus died for you, that he loves you, that he paid for your sin, and no matter what depth that you're in of circumstance, sin, or despair, he will pull you out of it. With him, there is forgiveness. With him, there is hope. All you have to do is turn to him. No matter how far down you might seem, you're not too far away. The Lord is still working with you. The Lord is with you and he is doing his work. Look at how the psalmist puts it here in verse six. He says, I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. And I love that picture that it gives us of watchmen waiting for the morning. You know, in that day, in their walled cities, they would stand up and watch over the city by night. And this was to give warning if there are invaders or burglars or strangers, anything which could disrupt their peace and safety. And the watchmen waited for morning for a couple of reasons. And number one, morning meant that peace was here. A new day had dawned. They'd made it another day safe. And when morning came, that was good news. And the second thing, perhaps a more relatable type of a thing, is they just wanted to quit working. (laughs) When morning came, their shift was done and they got to go home and be with their families. I can relate to to that kind of like waiting to get there. I was thinking about all these students on the bus to Hume Lake today. It's like a four-hour drive. And I wonder about what hour they're going to start to ask the driver, are we there yet? Have you ever asked this question? Have you ever heard about this question? It's going to be big. Um, 
Growing up in Kansas, we took a lot of road trips for vacation, and one of the places we went a lot was to Denver, where my grandparents lived, and my aunt and uncle and my cousins lived, and so we'd go there a couple times a year, and to drive to Denver, it's like eight or nine hours, and through the prairies, which is pretty flat, and you'd always be anticipating, you know, when are we going to be there? I can't wait to get there. You'd stop in Colby, Kansas, which has the travel center, which means there's a Starbucks there. That's the one, so you got to stop there for sure and keep on going. Are we there yet? And you hit the state line and there's a big sign and it says, welcome to Colorado. Have you guys ever made this journey on I-70? I recommend it. It's really beautiful. I'm about to make a little fun of it, but I love the prairie. I think it's amazing. I can't wait to get back and travel there this summer. But when you go from Western Kansas and you see welcome to Colorado, what do you think? There's going to be mountains. There's going to be skiing. It's going to be beautiful. National parks like elk, like thick, like the like the grass, and then eastern Colorado looks exactly like western Kansas. Like you get there and you're like, this isn't Colorado, this is the same. When are we going to get there? Like a kid in a car, when will we be there? You've got like three more hours to get to Denver. And because you stopped at Starbucks in Colby, like, yeah, you kind of need to stop and use the facilities. Right? Have you ever had this challenge on a road trip? You just stop, but you need to stop again, but you don't want to ask because will the driver be mad? Will they pull over? I think my kids worry if I'm going to be mad about stopping. I have this trick now. If I need to use the facility, I'll ask the kids, do you need to go? And then we'll pull over. I can blame them, right? But as a kid, you don't have that authority. You're just worried, like, can we stop? Can I make it? Can I hold it? You have this almost physical longing to arrive. In Denver, you're going to find relief, and you're going to find grandma and grandpa and cousins and aunts and uncles. It's amazing. Your whole being longs to be in Denver. And that's what the psalmist is saying, that these people with their whole being are longing to be in the presence of the Lord, but not for a fixing of their circumstances. They're longing to be in the presence of the Lord for a full forgiveness of their sin. Look at what it says in verse eight. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sin. At the end of verse seven, with him is full redemption. Some translations say plentiful redemption. This is what the psalmist's whole being longs to find, full forgiveness, plentiful redemption. So I love this image because do we crave the Lord's redemption in that same way? Can we wait to get there or is it more like the dentist who are kicking down the road? We'll wait till the house is on fire before we call the fire department. Or are you just longing to be there? Are you longing for that repentance? Are you longing for that forgiveness? Are you longing to see the Lord do a work in your life? Man, the psalmist waits on the Lord in that way. And I'd love to encourage us to do the same. So I'd love to challenge you with three ways that you can find that life of repentance this week. How can you find a life like this to long to be forgiven by the Lord in the same way the psalmist was able to? So number one, I wanna suggest to you that the first thing you need to do is to believe that God is in fact a God of grace. I want you to believe that if you need to pull over the car, God will let you pull over the car. I want you to believe that if you went to God, the dentist, that he would love you and care for you and that it wouldn't be so bad. I want you to believe that if you called God the fire department that he would show up for you. He's not a God angry at you. He's not a God mad at you. He's not a God thinking, why didn't you plan better than this? He's a God who loves you, who has plentiful redemption, grace, and mercy abounding. That's the character of our God and we can reach out to him with full confidence. Believe that today in your heart and in your mind. 
You know, but repentance isn't just a thing we know in our mind. It has to, at a certain point, become an action, an act of the will almost. And so that's why number two, I want to say, confess your sins before the Lord. Don't just believe that God is good. Confess your sin. Maybe that's in the prayer room today with a prayer partner. Maybe that's with somebody who brought you who you love and trust. Maybe that's directly to the Lord in prayer. But confess your sins. You have to pull out the phone and call the fire department. You have to make the appointment at the dentist. You have to ask to get the car pulled over. You have to ask for forgiveness. It's available for you. Reach out and ask. Confess your sins to God. You know, sometimes we think that we do that once when we become a Christian, that 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 act of repentance begins our Christian life, and that's true, but I wanna say to you that confession, repentance, forgiveness is a lifestyle, a daily journey through all of life's ups and downs. Confess to our loving and forgiving God out of whatever depth that you are in. He loves you, and he will give you grace. And that's the third thing that I wanna say. Just keep on leaning in to him. Keep on leaning into him. Don't make repentance a one-time thing. You know, you call the fire department. What about fire prevention so it doesn't happen again? What about oral care so you don't have to see the dentist for another toothache? Or what about planning your trip in advance so that you don't fall by the wayside like you once did? No matter how many times you fall short, God is happy to hear from you. In this continual prayer, continual crying out for him, continual reliance on him, God will redeem you fully from the depths of your sin and the depths of your circumstance. You know, I've been talking here for about 24 minutes and 26 seconds approximately, and I've been telling you for the lion's share of that that forgiveness of sins is much more important than receiving a blessing from God. That's 100% true. But there's also kind of a twist that comes here at the end, isn't there? Uh, you know, we think about that, that paralyzed person who met face-to-face with Jesus. He got his sins forgiven. He got his eternal debt paid, and it was amazing. But another thing happened. He got healed. <laughs> he could stand. He could rise. And he could walk. And the same thing is true for us. Like, the sin issue that we struggle with is the most important one, absolutely. But God is a good God who wants more than just mere forgiveness so that you can go to heaven someday. He's with you now. If you have circumstances, if you need a healing, if you need a breakthrough, if you need a new job, if you need a relationship restored, God stands ready to answer that prayer also. Whatever depth you're in, you can cry out to him 